And I want to speak to those of you who maybe you're here today and this is your first time maybe at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Maybe you're here visiting. Um, perhaps you're here and you, you came to find out what this thing called church actually is. The Lord Jesus, the Apostle Paul, both uh, passed along this ordinance. It's one of two. This one, uh, communion, the Lord's table, and then baptism. And they participated in both. But the Apostle Paul, as he would pass along the ordinance of communion, that us joining together, uh, symbolizing the Lord's death until he comes, as we gather together at that table, the Apostle Paul reminded the church at Corinth, and so I remind you today that we're not to partake of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And what that simply means is, is if you're here and you don't know the Lord, uh, this supper is for believers. It's for people who know Jesus. It's a celebration of what he did on Calvary's cross. Paul took it so far as to say, don't partake in an unworthy manner, for in doing so, some have even fallen asleep. It's a serious supper that we partake of. And so as the elements are being passed out, if you feel that maybe the Lord is speaking to you, you're just not right with the Lord, please just allow the elements to pass by. For the rest of us, for the body of Christ, this is one of those glorious times when we gather together and we remember that in fact we are the redeemed, that we have been absolutely, completely, totally washed by the blood of the Lamb. This afternoon, as I share with you from Leviticus, a book that we don't often look at because it seems like it's one of those things, maybe it doesn't apply to us, but there in Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And as we think on those words, by the time we get to the sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary's cross, as you receive first the bread, you, you see his body had to be broken in order for his blood to be spilled. The beating he took, he took for you, he took for me. The lashes to his back, the thorns pressed into his brow, wrapped into a, a, a crown of all things. The striking that he took, the plucking of his beard, scripture reminds us. He did those things for you. He did those things for me. He allowed himself to go to Calvary's cross, not because of an elaborate plot, not because of the Roman army's power, not because of the Pharisees' uh, amazing intellect, not because he couldn't have stopped. Matter of fact, he could have called a legion of angels to do his bidding for him, but he didn't because he went to the cross because he loves us. His desire was to come and to give his life a ransom for many. To as many as believed, he had the power to become the sons, the daughters, the children of God. So as you receive the elements of communion, it's been often said that if you were to cut the Bible anywhere, it would bleed. And it's really a truth. Because all the way back in the book of Genesis, we find the story of man's fall. We, we find 
that period of time when Adam and Eve know that they've been wrong, God asked them the question, uh, who told you you were naked? And they, they, they said, well, we're, we're ashamed. And God took the life of an innocent animal and clothed them in the skins of that animal. God himself shed innocent blood to cover Adam and Eve's sin. And the same is still necessary for every last one of us here today. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus himself would say in Matthew 26, verse 28, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. You see, my deepest need, your deepest need, every human being's deepest need is not more money. It's not a new house. It isn't a new car. It isn't some material thing. It's not a new relationship. It's forgiveness of sin. Because if we step out of this life and into the next with even one, no heaven. And so Christ bore your sins, my sins, our sins collectively on Calvary's cross. And it was there that his blood was poured out. Peter would so understand this in his first epistle. He would write in the very first chapter, for we are not redeemed with silver and gold and precious stones. You see, the word redemption means to buy back or to purchase at a price. It means that ultimately the price has to be paid for our sins. And that price has to be a perfect payment for our sins. And of course, Jesus himself was that perfect sacrifice. You see, some people think that, you know, the most valuable thing on this earth perhaps is maybe gold or silver, or perhaps it's, you know, the sum and total of all of the earth's resources and wealth. And yet that's not remotely as valuable as a single drop of the precious blood of the Lamb. That is the one thing that every last one of us in here needs. I need his blood to cover the cost of my sin. As you look at these elements, you have a simple cracker, but it's very symbolic. You notice there are bruisings on it. There are holes in it. It was pierced. It's been broken. It wasn't neatly cut. It symbolizes and represents the Lord's body. In the same way, the cup is just a simple cup of grape juice. But what it represents is the freedom that we now have in Christ because of what he did on Calvary's cross. John would go on to say, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. There's an interesting thing about the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there are 22 recorded sermons given by Peter and Paul, the apostles. Every last one of them, all 22, were about the birth, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. 
his blood shed for you, shed for me, shed for us, that we might be freed from sin. Because see, we're, we're sinners, amen? And we need a Savior. And there's nothing that can wash away your sin except for. That's why Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Without his blood, you can't get there. The blood of Christ is perfect to take care of our debt. It's a debt that you owed, I owed, we owed, that not one of us in here could have paid ourselves. People spend their whole lifetime trying to, to live some monastic life, hiding themselves in a cave, crawling on broken glass trying to prove that they love the Lord enough so that he might find them acceptable. Can I just tell you, there is no possibility for you to ever be approved by anything other than this. It's only his blood that can do that. And to get blood out, there has to be a cutting, there has to be pain, there, there's no other way for it to happen. Jesus had to be broken for you, broken for me. And he was perfect. Judas himself even recognized. Can you imagine Judas sitting at the table with the Lord, that first Lord's Supper, that Passover Eve? And Judas himself cries out, I have betrayed innocent blood. Paul would say that he made, God made him, Jesus, sin for us. The view that Father God must have had from heaven while that whole plan of salvation was finalized and unfolding at the cross of Christ as he gazed at his only begotten Son and the weight of every sin that had been, would be, or will ever be committed placed upon the back of Jesus and dealt with. The wrath of God poured out on his own Son that valuable the weight of eternity Pilate himself said I don't even find any fault in him I find no fault in this man John would remind us that in him is no sin and so what you hold in your hand two simple things that remind us of the most valuable thing in the entire universe. As Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he first took the bread, a simple loaf. We would look at it like maybe pita bread today, and he tore it. He broke it. Can you imagine the look on the disciples' face? What are you saying, Lord? He was basically telling them that what was going to happen the next day, they wouldn't believe with their eyes. It wouldn't make any sense to them. He said, but as often as you do this, do this in 
remembrance of me. And in the same manner also, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, for this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And this you do as often as you drink from it. Do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Family of God, until he comes. We just keep remembering the Lord Jesus. There's nothing better we can do at church than to remember the Lord Jesus. I say, Lord, without your sacrifice for my life, without the price that you paid, I would still be dead in my trespasses and sins. I would still be without hope. I would still not have a way to pay that debt. For all the world's religion couldn't do what one drop of the Savior's blood did. I want to pray, and then we're going to partake together. And then we're going to worship, because that's what we should do when we remember, is we should worship the Lord Jesus for what he's done for us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we think on that vision of your one and only Son hanging on Calvary's cross, beaten, bruised, crushed, just as the prophet said, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Your body was was truly broken, and we do remember what you did. That Roman soldier had no idea what he was about to release when he pierced your side. But for us, we've been cleansed, we've been washed, we've been made new by the precious blood of the Lamb. And so, Lord, though our words fail us, no matter what language we would use, it's not sufficient to remind us of the glory of what you did in our behalf. But we do say thank you. And we do remember you. We remember you till you come. We remember you this day. We remember you as long as we have breath. And so, God... We simply say thank you for the broken body and for the shed blood of our Savior Jesus. It's in his most blessed name we pray, the name above all names, the name that at one time in human history, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We honor you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Let's partake together. First the bread, then the cup. You can take out your Bibles. We have a little bit of an introduction that we'll do now for our next couple of studies. Don't be dead. You see, now that we're redeemed... Now that you've come to that place to where you've invited Christ into your life, 
you've sought that lordship, you've received that forgiveness of sin, you have been washed, you have been made new, you're undergoing that constant cleansing flow, the Spirit's work in your life, you have some responsibilities to undertake for the Lord. Sometimes we don't like talking about the the more difficult things in our in our Christian walk. But I can tell you the world doesn't want you to walk with Jesus. Amen. It's pretty much dead set against everything that we stand for as the body of Christ. You can't go to the grocery store without being assaulted with dead things. Amen. All you got to do is walk through the checkout stand. Look at the magazines. Well, don't look at the magazines. They're there. Take my word for it. It's just filth covered by garbage, dipped in yuck. That's the world. I just described the world. Filth covered by, yeah, whatever I said. But you know what I'm saying. You see, we have a choice to make. You've been redeemed. You're now walking. Remember verse 1 here in chapter 4. Paul's reminding us, as he said there in verse 1, Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, walk worthy of that calling. Your life was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You're now supposed to walk worthy. These first 16 verses that we've looked at was this incredible truth. You've been called to walk in unity. You've been called by the same one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one Lord who's one God and Father. So you're going to walk somewhere. Now the question becomes where and with whom? You see, sometimes I think the reason that the world is able to say, I don't want a part of this whole Christian thing is because the world is able to point to the church and say, are those guys alive or are they dead? Because they still kind of look like dead people to me. Now, by way of analogy, I'm old enough, and I will share this with you, that I grew up in a day and time when back in the 60s and early 70s where you could go to a matinee movie performance usually started sometime around 11 o'clock. It was two features, not one, two. And for 50 cents, you could get into the theater, you would still get popcorn and a Coke for 50 cents. Some of you are going, huh? Because I just gave up my car to go watch a movie. And if it was a double feature, that's two cars. But one of the big things back when I was a little younger, dinosaurs still roaming like with Job, but when you, when you went to the theater, they usually had a double feature, and they would have every once in a while the old science fiction double feature, and there would be two of them, and they were usually like the Bride of Frankenstein or, you know, one of the Dracula movies, where the most gory thing was the teeth. Now it's you can't, nothing. But they had zombie movies then. And you could always spot the living dead because when you saw them, raggedy clothes, and they walked like this with their hand. They had that blank stare on their face. 
They were dead, but they were still moving like they were alive. How tragic is it that the world can't tell that many Christians are alive in Christ? Many Christians, in a spiritual sense, are like walking dead people because they're still doing exactly the same things that they used to do before they got redeemed. Oh, they come to church. They hang out with other Christians. But when the joke goes around the lunch table, they add their two cents. When it comes to making a decision about whether they're going to wait and be faithful to God's design for marriage, they're still sleeping with their boyfriends and girlfriends. The divorce rate, exactly the same. Just so you know, I'm going to universally throw a few rocks out, and if you start barking, it's because you got hit. (laughs) We're going to pick up in just a slight introduction to what lies ahead for us in verse 17 here in Ephesians 4. You see, we're supposed to be living, breathing, acting, walking like Jesus. And very often people in the world point to the church and go, that's why I don't want to be a Christian. Because they're just as dead as everybody else. You see, we we like to, to pick on things like maybe homosexuality. But let me tell you this. How many Christians are some of the most bitter people you've ever talked to? How many Christians are still walking in the deadness of unforgiveness even though they themselves have been forgiven by the Lord? How many Christians are walking just as greedy as the next person who doesn't know the Lord? How many Christians, Bible-thumping, Bible-believing, supposed Christians, are angry? Constantly. How many Bible believing Christians are contentious and mean spirited? How many Christians can the world point to and say they preach it, they teach it, but they don't live it? And so Paul now goes on the offensive. And I want to just simply do a little introduction to what lies ahead today. Pick up with me, if you would, here in verse 17 of Ephesians 4. And Father, we pray that you would just now, in these few minutes, speak truth into our life through your word. We thank you for it. We thank you for the passages that pierce us, strengthen us to receive it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 17, for this I say, this I say, Paul's associating himself with what he's about to say. Not just for you, not just for real sinners. You see, we have a thought process in our world that there's real sinners and there's, well, there's nice sinners. There's the sins of the saints, as D.L. Moody used to call them. And those are acceptable because... 
we're, si- we're saved sinners who are now sinning. So because it's saintly sin, it's somehow not wrong anymore. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. He's, he's actually making kind of like a pinky swear on the Lord. He's saying, look, I, tell, I don't know any other name that's above that name. So in the Lord, I bear witness to this central truth. These things are true, therefore, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And he's using the word Gentiles to identify with unbelievers. He's saying, you as the body of Christ, me as the body of Christ, himself as a believer in Jesus, we who name the name of the Lord should no longer live our lives in such a way that anyone could ever confuse us with dead people. They should be able to look at your life and my life, the life of the church, the ministry of the church, the body of Christ, that amazing unity that we have because we've been redeemed with the blood of the Lamb that we should no longer walk as unbelievers walk. Ouch. You mean I'm actually supposed to live it? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what it says. And yet a lot of the church is like, well, you know, I go to church and I do my... I do my duty at church, and then I go live the way I want to live. I don't want church to affect my life. I just want to go so that people think I'm religious. Maybe there's somebody in here today. Maybe you came and you're just doing your religious obligation. Can I remind you? Don't next time. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to walk not as the unbelievers in this world walk. The church needs to be different. The time is now, body of Christ, brothers and sisters, friends, family in the Lord. The time is now for the church to stand up and start walking like we're alive in Christ. Amen? Do not walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Notice that it happens up here first having their understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart. It's a pretty sad thing when you can talk about Christians who are so biblically ignorant that they believe every vain philosophy of the world and they walk in those philosophies first before they walk in the ways of the Lord. That is a sad, sad, sad commentary on the body of Christ. And I know this is stinging a little bit, but it's supposed to every once in a while, you know, whack us. Because it calls into question the things that I think we need to have called into question every once in a while. Amen? I don't, maybe all of you are perfect. I'm not. There are things in my life I can tell It's like, oh, Lord. I thought that again? You see, we're supposed to walk like alive people. Notice verse 19, and we're going to close with this today. Who being past feeling, in other words, they so are dead that they no longer have any feeling. Hence, back to my analogy of the, of the walking dead. The, they look alive, 
but they're actually dead and they have no feeling. You can do anything you want to them because they're actually dead, but they're still moving around. He's actually saying to us, look, are you alive or are you dead? If you don't have any feeling towards the things of God, maybe you're dead. Maybe you're not alive. We call this introspection, don't we? We actually take stock of what's inside and we go, hmm, that kind of sounds like me. Well, I profess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, but my actions say something very different. Somebody actually meets me, they wouldn't know that I'm actually a believer because I'm actually walking in the ways of the Gentile. How tragic it is when, when you find a, a, a bar filled with believers. How tragic it is when, when you roll down your windows and the smoke rolls out. How tragic it is when the words that you speak are not edifying and building up. Matter of fact, they're tearing down that person. How sad it is when the world can't look at your life, my life, our lives as a church and go, that's what Jesus looks like. And so he gives them three things, and you can hang on to them. We'll elaborate going forward next week. Have given themselves over. You see, these are marks of dead people. They may still be walking around, but they're the marks of somebody who's not walking the walk. They're just talking the talk. Lewdness. That refers basically to all sexual sin. To work all uncleanness. That is to be everything that you can imagine goes into that category that's against the will of the Lord. Ungodliness. Uncleanness. With greediness. Desiring everything the world has to offer. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, don't be dead. Be alive. And you can tell if you're dead. Because you're engaged in sexual sin. You're doing everything the world does the way it does it. And you're hungry after the things of the world. That's the mark of somebody who's not really having a vibrant live walk with the Lord. Now having said all that, I would pray there's not a single person in here that that's true about your life. Maybe there's a tune-up someplace that you need in some specific area. And so I would simply ask, as you think about your life this week, the world needs you to show them Jesus. The world is waiting for real Christians. Not Christians who walk like Gentiles, but real Christians who actually live, sleep, eat, breathe Jesus who know his word and live it out. That's what the world needs right now. It doesn't need any more fancy lies. It needs the truth lived out so that people can see the Savior. And I pray that is exactly what we would do this week. Would you stand? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, this afternoon, this day, the whole of all that's happened here in this place. And God, at times we are challenged by your word. 
And we don't want to walk like the unbelieving world walks. We don't want to be found in compromising situations. Places where we shouldn't be as the body of Christ. And we need your help. And we thank you, Jesus, that that help is a email away, a text away, an Instagram post away, a call away. If we call, you'll answer. And we thank you that that's true. And you are mighty to save. And so I pray, Lord, we pray collectively, if there's anybody here that's never made that first step, as we close this service, Lord, as there'll be prayer warriors gathered together in the prayer room, Lord, it's simple. You just want us to turn our lives over, give you the driver's seat, and us hop in the back. And so, God, we ask you to help us to walk, not as the world walks, but as Jesus walked. Bless us with your Spirit's presence in our lives. Anoint us to what lies ahead for this week. We thank you for the beauty of the supper, the seriousness of it, Lord, your life laid down for us. And now, Lord, would we lay our lives down for you as our reasonable service. We love you, we praise you, we bless you, and now we worship you and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship.